Welcome, everybody. I hope you're as happy to be here as I am. It's been a long time, it seems like. And we won't be celebrating like we were last year. So what a blessing. You agree? Join me in our opening prayer, please. Loving God, you are creator of all things. And the one who that can provide hope that we can never comprehend. Thank you for leading us into this week where more reality is revealed for all of us to see. We pray that you make us aware of those natural inclinations and temptations to take the simple gifts that you have provided for us for granted. We pray that you also alert us to any temptation for cynicism, denial, fear, and despair. Put within our hearts a desire to seek the greater truth, greater humility, and greater compassion and care for each other. May we place our hope in what most lasts the longest, trusting in your eternal presence and love. Listen to our hearts longing for the healings of our suffering world. Hear our individual prayers, knowing almighty, honorable, and good God that you are hearing us better already than we are speaking. We offer these prayers in the name of our holy God. Amen.
words often fill our expressions of prayer. As we, as we reflect on Christ's sacrificial love this week, let us enter a time of silence, a time of listening. I invite you at this time to keep three minutes of contemplative silence. At the end of that three minutes, I welcome you to join me as we share together in repeating the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You were the word in the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Greater. 
you to stand as we read the Gospel of John. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of, was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you but you do not always have me. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and believing in Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Good evening. It's good that we can be together today. Yesterday we celebrated Palm Sunday and a lot of people were proclaiming back in that time, Hosanna, Hosanna, the God in the highest, and you know what else we were singing, just the same sort of thing. <clears throat> then sometimes we hear a person, and I really think they misunderstand, who say that just a few hours later, the crowd were saying, crucify him, crucify him. Okay, let me just <clears throat> give you my spin on that. I really don't think it was the same crowd. Now, the people who later were saying, crucify him, crucify him, they probably were there. But I don't believe they were saying, Hosanna. I don't think they were there except to watch and just see who they could see and who they could capture and what they could get together in their minds to bring before Jesus. Well, now that we come to where we are tonight with this passage of Scripture, <clears throat> I heard many years ago about a Sunday school teacher, and some of you have 
taught Sunday school. Some of you are still teaching Sunday school. But many years ago, uh, the teacher said, next Sunday, I want you to bring some object that will demonstrate a verse of Scripture. Well, when the next week came, uh, one little child uh, sort of came in and came up close and he brought a salt shaker. You probably heard this. Brought a salt shaker. And the verse that he was explaining, you are the salt of the earth. And then there was another one of those children who came with a little candle, probably not lighted, but uh, came with a candle. And this candle represented you are the light of the world. And there was a little boy that uh, was holding something real close to him here. And they were sort of puzzled about that <clears throat> because it looked like it was a little egg and which it was. It was a small bantam hen's egg. It's probably very little bigger than a blue jay or, or a cardinal or something like that. But, but then the teacher looked and said, but what does this demonstrate? What scripture does this remind you of? And the little boy said, she has done what she could. I want us to think tonight a little bit about that concept of doing what we can as God's children. As Christians, maybe we ought not to fear so much any consequences for doing the right thing. Maybe there's justification for us to be afraid if we were involved in the wrong thing. Well, let's think about that passage of Scripture a little bit more. Here in the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and that was in Bethany. I think I'm right on that. Which was, as we say today, a suburb of Jerusalem. And they, Jesus had been there many times before. And probably the disciples had been there on several occasions. They were familiar with the territory and the home. There was genuine love that was there. Now, I want us to think about uh, at least five characters that was read to us from the scriptures a few moments ago. One, of course, is Jesus. And then another character we want to take a look at uh, is Lazarus, the very one that Jesus had brought back to life after he was dead several days. And also there's Martha. And there's also Mary. And there's at least one of the disciples. Probably more than that because I, I really don't think that Jesus would have been there without the other disciples following him around. But anyway, 
the other disciples, but the one that we look at tonight, whose name is Judas. Now let's back up a little bit and think about Jesus, first of all. Jesus was a wanted person, and he knew it. He knew that there were those who wanted to take his life. He knew that they, he knew, of course, where he was headed that week, even though a lot of people didn't realize that. But I think Jesus knew ahead what was going to happen. But Jesus also was aware that he was a wanted person in the sense that there were people who were wanting to kill him to take his life. And somebody said one time, that, in fact, they had written it down, that they thought this was a high courage moment when Jesus was here with these other, with the disciples, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that that was knowing what was going on around him and knowing that he was wanted and wanted as a death from some people. And I agree with that. It took great courage for Jesus to do that. But I think we can add a word to that. And that is that I think this was really a great act of commitment now, Jesus, of course, knew what was happening and what would happen in a few days, maybe a few hours. Then we want to go just a moment or two and think about why, why we think that. <clears throat> and that is that when Jesus was in the garden, that wasn't exactly this night we're talking about, but when Jesus was in the garden, he earnestly prayed that this cup, this cross, might be spared, that he might not have to go. You remember that, of course, as Christians. But then he said, not my will, but your will be done, Father. He was dreading it. He had every reason to dread what was ahead of him. And so that's why I'd like to add that this was a great act of commitment on the part of Jesus, that he was going ahead, knowing as much about it as he did. Let's also think for a moment or two, just remind ourselves of some of the characteristics of Jesus. Okay, Jesus was a person who said to the disciples one time, some children were trying to get closer to Jesus. You remember reading about that. And, and as they were trying to hold him, hold the children back, and it probably was some of the disciples, not trying to be ugly or mean, they just felt like maybe Jesus didn't need to be bothered. But characteristically, Jesus said, don't bother them. Don't hinder them. Don't stop them. Let the little children come to me. And also, if we can think about another characteristic of Jesus as expressed 
when he was in the temple one time, and of course you remember this, he saw a woman putting just a couple of coins into the offering. It couldn't have been much value to it. But Jesus commended her for giving out of what she had or maybe out of, even out of her poverty. Then we think about uh, Jesus too. Also, you and I are especially glad that uh, Jesus receives sinners. Now you've heard the expression, you know it's true, that when I'm pointing my finger at you, I've got three fingers pointing back at me. I use my left hand because my front, right hand doesn't work like, like it used to. Okay, I want you to think about, don't point a finger, please. Just think about the person on your right. And think about the person on your left without pointing a finger. And then think about yourself. All three are sinners in need of the grace and the forgiveness and the new life that God offers to us through Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord and Savior. So Jesus welcomes sinners. So we know that we are welcome to come into the presence of Jesus. Now I'd like for us to spend just a moment or two about Lazarus. Lazarus, uh, the Bible says, was <clears throat> at the table reclining. Now, in our day that we live today, that'd be a little unusual for a person to come up at the table and start reclining. But in that day, when you ate at the table, especially when you were guests, you would recline, and the chair was made in such a position that your feet was lower than your head, but you were in a reclining position. Now, I don't know why it was like that. I do know that when you're reclining and not folding up in the middle, you can eat more. I don't know about that. Or you can relax and enjoy it a little bit more. But here is one who was at the table with Jesus, his name Lazarus, whom Jesus was a friend to him. He was a friend to Jesus. And Jesus had brought him back to life after he was dead for several days. Okay, then let's think about uh, Martha. Some of you might relate more closely to Martha. Martha was busy doing the thing that she did best. And probably the thing that she enjoyed doing and wanted to do the best of anything she could think of. And that was waiting on the table, preparing the food, presenting it to the guests at the table. Now, that must have been a large table. I really don't know. It may have been sort of like some of these tables uh, that we used to see when we were young children uh, in, in some rural areas, pretty large table. Uh, I remember one of my early experiences, I was in the home of people who uh, had invited me there. It was on Sunday, and 
I knew he was teasing when he said this. Sort of tongue in cheek. He said, now, here it is. If you want to eat it up for me and my children, just go ahead. <laughs> but, uh, and I knew right away, he, I, did, I wasn't offended because I knew he was teasing. But there must have been a lot of other people there. Martha was doing the thing, like I say, that she did best. She was giving of herself. She was giving her expertise in preparing, cooking, and sitting the food before the people. Now, there was a sister. Now, on another occasion, there was some little difference between them, but that's not the passage we're looking at tonight. But then there was Mary. And Mary, the sister of Martha, one of the sisters of Lazarus, was doing something entirely different. Her thing was washing the feet of Jesus. And in addition to washing the feet of Jesus, she had some precious, expensive ointment that she was rubbing on the feet of Jesus. And as she was doing this, <clears throat> there was a perfume probably drifting through the air. Everything began to smell real good. And she was doing this because she loved Jesus. Now, she may have known what was going to be happening in just a few days, a few hours. I don't know. But she was a friend who loved Jesus, and she was bathing and anointing his feet. Okay, you know what happened when uh, Judas saw all this? Uh, Judas said, no, wait a minute now. Why, why don't you just, instead of doing this, there are a lot of hungry people, there are a lot of poor people. Why shouldn't you have sold this ointment and given it to the poor? Now, the ointment, I've seen a note in one of my Bibles that says the ointment probably cost something like a wage, an annual wage of a laborer. That may give us a little bit of a perspective there. So it was valuable. And Judah says, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you just sell it? Why are you pouring it out? And why are you doing this? Well, <clears throat> Jesus knew uh, what Judas was all about. And the scripture even says plainly that he kept the treasury. He kept the money for the group. And, and he really was a thief. The Bible didn't make any bones about it. He was a thief. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus basically said to him, and I don't think that Jesus was shouting at him. I don't, he just simply said, let her alone. She's doing something that she knows needs to be done. I'm paraphrasing as you know. Okay. <clears throat> she really is preparing me for burial in just a short period of time. Now, 
when we think about this scene, and as we begin this week, this series, that helps us to sort of get a picture in our mind. And sometimes we can say and uh, admit with appreciation that uh, some of you have, have helped me to say beyond my family, my immediate family, I love you. Now, I can remember a while when, uh, if, if somebody's doing that particular, uh, we used to call them preacher, and, and, and particularly, uh, maybe the pastor of the church. And most of we pastors probably have known of times when a pastor really got in trouble. And sometimes it might have been deserved trouble. <laughs> But some of you have taught me by your, the way that you have responded to me just by simply saying, I love you. I said that to one of you uh, not too long on the phone, and I could tell you were surprised. But then it was all right. I was not... Uh, I get just surprised. You know, and maybe, maybe we can get surprised when somebody just tells us, I love you, and mean it simply as a gesture of genuine Christian love. Now, I have run across the idea that uh, there's a way that we can use that, those words. Now, if we say to a child, I hope I never said this to one of ours. Only one of them is with us tonight, but she's not a child anymore. But if we say, for instance, to a child, I love you, but you got to go clean up your room. I love you, but I don't like the way you handle and your clothes. I love you, but I don't like some of your young friends. Well, the thing about that is I understand that grammatically, some of you know more about this than I do, that when you make a statement and then put but in there, it really erases everything you said before then. And apparently there's a better way of saying that. I love you. And... I wish that you clean up your room. I love you. And I, I wish you would, would do this or that or the other. Or just simply say I love you without any other things added to it. Uh, <clears throat> maybe this week that we can move forward. That we can move forward toward being more loving more forgiving, more encouraging. And we could add on to that list. But maybe for each of us, this is a chance for us to start growing again or continue to grow again in these areas that we're talking about. 
Then this afternoon, I ran across another familiar passage of Scripture. It wasn't the one that was read. It was another one. But I want to close out with, uh, with this one. Over in Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, What no eye has ever seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's move forward in loving God and loving one another and trusting God and accept the many, many gifts that he continues to bestow upon us. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together and to think about some of your words and some of the scriptures. May we have a fresh sense of forgiveness and to know that you do not cast us aside when we come to you. And now I pray that you'll bless each person that is here and help us to keep on growing in our Christian living. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each of us. Amen.